When I was about 13, I was part of a Girl Scout troop. We would go on many field trips doing various things that scouts would do, so this trip didn't seem out of the ordinary. We stayed in an old hotel for about four days, paired off two to a room so that we weren't alone. From the very beginning, I had an uneasy feeling about the place, but I just chalked it up to being away from my family and in a new place that I'd never seen before. It was pretty late the first night, so we decided to go to bed, not really paying attention to the things around us. Then, all of a sudden, we heard a knock on the door. I thought it was strange because it was so late and that the knocking was in a weird pattern of three. Three knocks, followed by a pause, and another three knocks, a slight pause, then three more. After the last three knocks, it stopped. I got up to see who it could be, thinking it's one of the other girls trying to be funny, but when I opened the door, no one was in the hallway. The girl I was sharing the room with and I just looked at each other and decided to go to bed. The next night, it happened again. Same time, same pattern of three. We were both in bed this time, and we shot up hearing the knocks. I was a little startled by it, so I decided that we were not going to open the door this time. After a while, the knocking stopped again, so we just went back to sleep. We asked the other girls if anyone was knocking on their doors at night, but they said no. They didn't even hear knocks coming from any other doors down the hallway. I was convinced there had to be someone messing with us, but my roommate was too scared to sleep in that room anymore. I decided, being the curious person that I am, that I would stay in that room by myself. So, on the third night, I stayed up late in the dark just watching the front door. When the knocking started, it scared me. But what I was not prepared for was the fact that it looked like the door was opening this time. There was no light coming from the hallway like there should have been, and I could make out a figure. It was tall and thin, looking like a shadow of a person. No features, just like it could have been a person, but wasn't. I started trembling, violently terrified that I might have just invited something that I shouldn't have into that room, for some reason, a thought popped into my head that I should knock back at it. So quickly, I put my hand to the wall and knocked three times against it. The figure seemed to be satisfied that I answered back and disappeared right in front of me. I didn't sleep at all that night, and to this day I have no idea what the three knocks meant. All I know is that I will never go back to that hotel. And if something comes to me and knocks three times, I'll knock back. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm... I'm Michael Tatum, and I don't know how I feel right now. What's a good adjective for me? I'm um, always coming up with... You come up with one for me. <laughs> You're good at this. What's a good adjective um, for me? Um, lazy. <laughs> no, like right now, not just all the time. Well, you don't want to come up with a word, so I'm going to stick with lazy. Lazy, but but very effective um, by, by the story we just read. A, a knocking? A knocking. knocking. A knocking. Uh, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't no. me doing that. No. <laughs> um, a, a sympathetic. A sympathetic. Okay. Empathetic. An empathetic? Empathetic? Empathetic. Empathetic. Because that means you're not a narcissist or a sociopath. Oh, true. Okay, so okay. A, I am a, a non-sociopathic or narcissistic 
Michael Tatum. (laughs) 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 So they tell me. I don't feel like that's a fair thing to do. Allegedly. Myself. Allegedly. Um, <laughs> and this is Ghoul Intentions. Yes. Uh, thank you so much to Samantha, who submitted that Girl Scout story. It was mm-hmm. freaky as fuck. I can't imagine being a kid in that situation. I can't. I, it's because I was in Scouts, and like I feel like joining the Scouts, either Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, is a great way to... like have ghostly experiences because you will yeah, at some point gonna you're going to be in an old campground or somewhere like you're going to I was in the bluebirds Oh the bluebirds Yeah but the uh the group leader's mom or whatever mm-hmm. her uh house was like within bike riding distance and one time they had a meeting and I was there and they wanted me to stay and play a little bit and then it was in Oklahoma so a thunderstorm was coming and she made me ride my bike home oh. instead of oh. leaving. She was like, you better go home. It's thunderstorming. So yeah, but- it was already raining. And by the time I got uh, halfway there, it started hailing. And my dad came by. <laughs> and you're on your bike? I was on my bicycle. You're getting hailed yeah, on? Yeah, I had to get off and I was pushing it. And my dad came by oh in, in his car and he was so mad. I thought he was so mad at me. I thought I was in the biggest trouble. He took my bike and threw it into the middle of the lawn of where we were and oh. had me get in the car and went home. And um, later I realized he was not mad at me. He was mad, he was at, mad the, at that woman. The Bluebirds mom. Yeah, they filed a former complaint, with, <laughs> a formal complaint with the Bluebirds. And like, yeah, this, uh, this yeah. woman just sent my daughter home in a, storm in a storm on bike. Yeah, and I was never allowed to play with that girl again. I was, I, they took me out of the Bluebirds. I was never in anything like that after that. So good I didn't for, have a ghost story. I had a hail story. Well, that's a you had a scary story. Right. It was very scary. That was terrifying. I, I'd yeah, never I, seen I, my I, dad that mad before. It was ooh. horrifying. Yeah. First you driving home or like riding home to the storm and then you get the storm of your father's anger. Right. Thank God it wasn't directed at you. I know. I but Man. That's, do you love that as a kid? Like when your your parents get really, really pissed and you're like, oh, that's oh, it. No. I'm going to, they're going to murder me. Right. And then you realize they're not mad at you and you uh-huh. just kind of feel like really good about yourself. Yeah. And then you join in their righteous indignation and you go, you you're so happy mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're not the subject of their anger that you're like, yeah, right. person that's responsible and you join in the chorus. I was really upset about my bike, though. Well, he was mad about it. It was in the middle of someone's lawn. Not even your lawn. No, no. He, he, <laughs> he was, was like, in the Rip. car. He was in the car and had come to find me because they called and said, where is she? Because this is a huge thunderstorm. Tornado site warnings, stuff like that. And, um, yeah, and they sent, and so they called, and she was like, Oh, I sent her home. And they were like, The fuck? And then he got in the car to come get me because I wasn't home yet. That's insane. I can't believe someone did that. I can't believe that woman. She's like, Yeah, we're going to go down in the storm cellar, and there's really only enough for me and my kids. So, bye, good luck. Yeah. And it wasn't even that, it was just go home. Did you think you, did she just, maybe she thought you'd be, I'm, I'm trying to make excuses for her. Fuck her. It was a terrible She's thing terrible. she did. Yeah. I always uh, felt bad for that girl. She had a hard time in school. Uh, she got teased a lot. Mm. And I always felt bad for her, not just for the teasing, but I know that I always felt like her mom didn't care. It was, anyway. That's sad. <laughs> it was sad. But. Hey, that, that plays into the uh, title for the day's episode. What is I'm, the title for today's episode? Maleficia. Maleficia. 
Artificium. Yes. What does that mean? It's an old word. It. Uh, let me just read you the definition. The term maleficia collectively refers to all types of malignant acts attributed in ancient times to witches and sorcerers, which uh, could have resulted in substantial damage and subsequent death to mankind, animals, and or crops. Maleficia was also connected to a pact with the devil. Oh. Yeah, during the medieval ages. Is that where Maleficent comes from? Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes me Maleficent, happy. Maleficence, like all those words, like malignant. They're all like malignant right. is the one word we still use every day, which means bad right, shit. Yeah. yeah. And that plays in. And it sounds oh, like. Because yeah. they, they usually put it in conjunction with sociopath. Malignant sociopath. Yeah, or cancers that are going to kill you. Right. Yeah. yeah. So not a good word. No. Yeah. When people say it's a good, it's, well, it's a good word. It's a very it's a good great word. word. It's a beautiful word. It's like, got so many letters like, and syllables. Like, it's almost Shakespearean to call someone, you malignant thing. Mm-hmm. I do it frequently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I chose it because of the subject today. Not just because of the woman that sent you out in the storm, who sounded like a pretty malignant fucking force. Yeah. Um, but the, the very least, she was negligent. Yes, because again, like last week, we, uh, you know, you did the subject on the uh, axe murder house, yes. which was great yes. and took us down so many rabbit holes. I know. Holes. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, and we also had our huge announcement about <laughs> uh, the YouTube. We're on YouTube now, and uh, we have our extra episodes on Thursday. Our little. Our little ghosticles. Little ghosticles. Little <laughs> stories. Why do we have to call it ghosticles? I love ghosticles. Because it sounds like testicles. I know. That's what you hear. <laughs> and that's and so that's you love it. You love that I love that's it. But also that's what I've I mean, I've said it before. It's I what know, I've called but... ghosts. I'm always like, it's the ghosticles. That's <laughs> what I call ghosts all the time. <laughs> Jack does it now too. If we hear something thud or something in the house, something it's weird a that happens. Ghosticles. Ghosticles. I just yeah. it it just makes me think of like like transparent scrotum mm. which makes me think i should go see a doctor but anyway <laughs> yeah see i think more of icicles or popsicles okay well, thanks for making me feel like i'm obsessed with my balls well <laughs> i mean i guess like i mean you know or just just balls in general it doesn't not- have to be yours well, I'm I'm probably more obsessed with my own than other people's, just because they're they're there. But that and doesn't mean I worry you can't about them. Be obsessed with other people's. Well, but I'm I'm not. Oh, all right. I'm not generally. I don't. I don't. They're not top of mind most yeah. of the time. I I my own testicles, yes, because you know you got to check, make sure that everything's fine, nothing malignant down there. You don't want them to disappear. You got to make sure they're there. That's why. <laughs> that's, that's why guys are always grabbing their crotches. Like, did my balls disappear? <laughs> oh God, no, they're still there. Thank God. You got to worry about all kinds of things. Yeah. Just, they might disappear. They, yeah. There might be some torsion, and they kind of twist around each other, and that can be bad and cut off blood flow, and like right. actually that can kill you if you're not careful, if you don't yeah. see to it. I knew someone that had to get one removed because of torsion that he ignored. I know somebody who had to get them them un, untwisted. <laughs> Why are we talking about this? <laughs> I hate it. I hate Gusticles! it. Let's, let's talk about scary so, things. So, okay. Um. <laughs> All of that aside, uh, Michael gets the whole episode this time. Yes, I do, because I found a story that I already knew a little bit about, because mm-hmm. uh, I read the book that we'll talk about. A lot of this information comes from a really, really good book I'm going to recommend, but it comes from a lot of sources, actually, not just the book. The book was just my chief source, um, and it is, oh my God, you talk about going down all these rabbit holes, because it is a complicated story with a number of interpretations. Love it. And uh, it's, well, let's just kind of go right into it and feel free, and I don't think you know anything about this. Have you ever heard of this? 
this no. story? Okay. No. Okay. Some people may have. It's not as popular as other stories. I cannot fucking imagine why not because right. it is. It's got everything. It has. Everything. It has all this the things. This story it has, has nuns. It has priests. It has. Demons, demons, it has spirits, it has pacts with the devil, it has political intrigue, it has famous characters from history that had a hand in things, it has, it, like, it, it, everything, like, everything, just fucking everything. everything. That's, oh my god. Someone do a review on that. What? <laughs> everything? No. Everything. There's, so you know the, the, uh, what's his name from SNL that does... That it has everything. Uh, Stefan. Everything. Stefan. So and he has to like constantly like cover his mouth. Yeah. So I can't see him laughing because he does it. all that on the fly. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's going to say until it comes up uh-huh. on the prompter, uh-huh. which I think is brilliant. Yeah. And so uh, they, someone, I think it was in New York or whatever, has taken on the Stefan uh, review, and they'll do like Yelp reviews. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this place has everything. Everything. And oh then it goes my into God. it. It's really it's a brand funny. new hip club around the corner called Bill. Where's my glasses? <laughs> yeah, right? Um, I mean, it's been a long time, so maybe they don't do it anymore, but that's what I was thinking of. Anyway. I I do. Okay, so, so my story. Okay, so by way of introduction to the story, like, everybody knows about the 1973 horror film Juggernaut, The Exorcist, right? Mm-hmm. If they haven't seen it, you've certainly seen clips of it or you know about it. And that film was directed by a guy named William Friedkin, who also did uh, Exorcist 3. Only mm-hmm. two that you should care about in the trilogy. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> uh, uh, that's uh, whatever it's based on. But the story of the Exorcist is based on a book uh, of the same name by William Peter Blatty, who in turn based his story on a supposedly real life case of demonic possession that took place in Mount Rainer, Washington, in mm-hmm. 1949. Right. Now, uh, Blatty obviously he changed a lot of the story up. Like what happened to the the subject of the exorcism in Mount Rainer was a guy, mm-hmm. uh, a young boy, and and yeah. so he took liberties. But it was inspired at least by a true story rather than. But at no point was Blatty trying to sell the exorcist as a true story. Uh, it was a fictionalized. It was a fictional story based on a real story that he had encountered. That he was like, "Oh my God, possession is real." Yeah. Um, now, less well known f- for reasons I can only begin to to imagine um, is the 1971 film, "The Devils of Loudon by art house maverick Ken Russell. Weird dude made a lot of weird artsy fartsy films that were all the rage back in the day. It was also based on a book by the same name, "The Devils of Loudon. Uh, by an author who you will recognize if you ever had to read Brave New World, as a lot of us did in school, Aldous Huxley. Okay. Now, uh, Huxley wrote this book. It's not a novel. It's a nonfiction book. It came out in 1952, and it examines an infamous case of demonic possession from 17th century France in Loudon, a little village there in France, Mm -hmm. and in which not just one hapless soul came under demonic influence, but an entire fucking convent. Oh. Well, this makes more sense because... I'm shocked that you would do a demonic possession to start with. It's like, really? Because it's not really our thing. Um, but there's a lot of intrigue in this story, yeah. and there's a lot more to it uh, than than the word demonic possession right. may may bring to mind for most listeners. So now William Peter Blatty, who the author of The Exorcist, was very much a devout Catholic. So he more or less took the the story that he based his novel on at face value. 
Huxley, on the other hand, was a far subtler thinker, especially on matters that were spiritual. He wrote a lot of fiction novels, but he also wrote books uh, called The Perennial Philosophy, which was kind of an, not an appraisal, but an exploration of all the world faiths and kind of the core of each of those faiths and how they kind of pointed to a philosophical ground of being that's whatever. He was a spiritual man, but a deeply intellectual one too. So he almost always rejected the literal view of such things in paranormal cases and wanted to look a little further and see... Um, you know, what was really going on and what it really meant. Because Huxley believed that most people, that most people's relationship to the divine, to the divine Huxley would say, was actually rather shallow and, and not informed enough. Um, he might have been a little arrogant in that regard, but he makes a really good case. And when he looks at the possessions in Loudoun, France in the 17th century, he, in the book, Devils of Loudoun, which I highly recommend to anyone who loves a good history and also just a good book of ideas, he looks at the case from every conceivable point of view. I mean, mm -hmm. he dissects it um, economically, spiritually, historically, psychologically. I, For being a guy that was kind of a quasi-skeptic slash spiritualist, he was probably, he was able to write really eloquently on philosophical and spiritual matters, and specifically on the psychology of faith, in a way that was incredibly well-researched and also, but not reductive. Uh, mm -hmm. as has been popular among the intelligentsia in the past right. century. So he gives us this really, really um, almost exhaustive picture of what went on. And the story begins... <laughs> well, the closest thing, it begins with, well, let's start with the hero of our story. And he's not really a hero, but the closest thing we come to a hero of the story the is... The main character. I suppose, yes, is this guy by the name of Father Urbain Grandier. Now, there are going to be a lot of French names. Well, I'm uh, glad you're doing this story. <laughs> so it's gonna, they're all just going to sound like I'm hocking <laughs> into the mic. Right. Um, Urbain Grandier was the parish priest of the biggest church in Loudoun, uh, Saint-Pierre-du-Marche, from about 1617 until his grisly public execution in 1634. Now, oh, he was a graduate good. of the Jesuit uh, school. Mm-hmm. He actually went to the same school as the famous philosopher René Descartes. Oh. So they were kind of contemporaries. I say Descartes. Descartes. <laughs> that, that's putting Descartes before the horse. Burr, right. burr, burr, burr. Hey. <laughs> so handsome, articulate, well-connected, uh, Urbain Grandier was quite popular with the ladies. Uh, he even had these, he was, if you, there are uh, etchings of him, of course, no no portraits exist, but there are drawings and sketches, etchings, etchings of him, and he was, eh, he looks kind of like Mephistopheles. <laughs> I mean, he's handsome, but angular, and he's got these mustaches that he's, that he waxed and had like the points curl around, so they kind of, uh, Huxley describes him as, um, or describes the mustaches as confronting each other over his nose, uh -huh. or right under his nose, because there was him. very much, huh? Who would you cast him? Who would I cast him? I would, oh, you know what, I think, um, a younger, by like 15, 20 years, a younger, uh, uh, um, Ian McShane would be really good. Okay. I Remind think. me of who Ian McShane He played, uh, he, he's uh, uh, Odin in... Oh! Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> he's Odin in uh, Showtime. Showtime. Yeah, in the Showtime's... Uh, 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 gods. God, uh, American Gods. American Gods. Shit. <laughs> we are on it with we are, names we are today. All, we are all over the map the today. The thing with the thing. What's his name? The thing he with the, the oh, thing. Oh, that thing. And, and he's he did in the, the show. Thing, and it's he did called the show that. with that thing. What? We're becoming our parents. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. Again, sorry, Mom, if you're hearing this. Now, so uh, Grande was very... 
uh, he was very, well, like everyone, like the ladies just loved him. Uh, and he was what's called a secular priest, which mm-hmm. is slightly different than other priests. He, he was more, um, he was far more true to his name, urbane mm-hmm. and witty uh, and more educated, especially in the Jesuit style, that these priests tended to be much more worldly, and so they were regarded a lot higher than other, uh, say, more monastic priests or monks that you could also say confess to if you're of the faith, because he understood, or seemed, you know, seemed uniquely qualified to understand the sins of the people confessing to him. So parish priests that were also uh, that were what were called um, secular clerics were very, very popular among the layperson because they felt like, oh, you're basically one of us. And mm. as a result, those priests tended to have much more lenient view of things with regards to like the vows they had taken for right. celibacy, <clears throat> yeah, they're the ones other such things, right? And he was very popular among the ladies because he was very right. handsome and very charming, very charming. A little bit of the narcissist, maybe mm. even a sociopath in oh. this guy. Not- you know what's funny? Um, the, the popes were pretty big on getting married at that time, too, and yes. having kids and shit like that. So yes. that's more recent that they actually took those seriously. Well, well, and so what's interesting is, like, at the time, in especially in France, in the 17th century, it had long been thought, like, the, the idea of popes and, like, bishops and cardinals being mm-hmm. just totally, like, lascivious, worldly people that just were in it for the power had become such a thing that the church mm-hmm. was making a huge concerted effort to make sure that all of its, you know, uh, nobility, with its internal nobility, were actually behaving themselves. Right. So in in France in the 17th century, they were trying to be a little more on the up and up. So it wasn't quite the orgiat, uh, the orgiatic free-for-all that it had been just, just about 50 years before. Right. So this was because they were trying to be more enlightened. And this was also Loudoun, which is a small village in France, right? right. I mean, a, a larger, one of the larger villages, but still a village, not, not by any means like a trade center or something. So... Yeah. Um, so when Grandier, you know, he was so popular with the ladies, which unsurprisingly made him very unpopular with just about all of the men. Mm, that has, that has a way of working like that. Particularly husbands, um, particularly men who coveted the perks of Grandier's job, being the parish priest of, Mm -hmm. of the largest church, did come with a lot of interesting benefits. Uh, or they just resented him for eclipsing their influence. Um, he, being very smart, he was frequently invited to the homes. It basically was was a good friend to the well-versed and wealthy intelligentsia, which mm-hmm. made him the envy of a lot of the merchant class who were like, oh, you get to hang out with the nobles and because you can quote poetry in Latin and you can talk all day about, oh, fuck you. And he was he was seen as kind of an egghead and mm-hmm. a ladies' man, which a lot of people, like, you either loved him or hated him. If you were a lady, right. you probably loved him. If you were a man, you fucking hated him unless you were older and you were charmed by his knowledge of your particular trade or interests. Yeah. So he had a number of very well-connected, wealthy friends, which also made him a very bold man, uh, unafraid of poking fun at rivals or snubbing his superiors. He declared that civilians were obliged to confess to him, being a secular priest, instead of clergy belonging to any of the Loudoun's uh, Loudoun's various monastic orders, uh, for example, which made him very unpopular with the monks of Loudoun because they're like, you're taking away our shit, that's our gig, you know, because you used to have to pay to confess. Um, and, and, or at least it was understood that you would leave donations, right? So he was, mm-hmm. he was cutting into their business, but like, you should come to me. I, I, I know you. I'm one of you. I'm a man of the people. Mm. Uh, where do we hear that all the time? Um, <laughs> 
so he, he declared that, which really cut into the revenue of the monastic orders in Loudoun, who he had no respect for because he was of that, of the clergy, of the secular clergy sect, which were, I kind of thought the monastic orders were like, you guys are so backwards and stupid. Right. You guys are like um, culty. You know, with yeah. your holy relics and your bullshit. In a holy procession through town on a, one of the holy feast days, he rudely maneuvered his way in front of the visiting bishop of uh, Luçon. Uh, which technically he it, he w- was within his rights to do because it was his town, it was his mm-hmm. parish that was leading the procession. But if he had known who the guy was, he wouldn't have done it. The Bishop of Luçon was a man who would go on in just a few years to become Cardinal Richelieu. Oh. The most powerful man in France, if not the world at the time. Yeah. Some readers may recognize him as the villain from the Musketeers novels. Right, yeah. Um, he wrote an incendiary treatise on celibacy, calling the practice old-fashioned and impractical. Uh, he did little to disguise his affair with the daughter of the king's counselor. Likewise, his dalliances with the daughter of the king's solicitor, of whose child he was widely thought to be the father. Oh. Uh, that's a whole fucking story we'll get into in a second. Um, when he was brought to trial for quote-unquote immorality in 1630, by which time he'd been parish priest for about 13 years, his highly placed friends made sure he got no more than a slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's how it worked, right? Pretty much. And this is this is how Huxley describes this kind of period in Urbain Grandier's life. He says, quote, The pattern of Grandier's life in Loudon, he wrote, was now set. He fulfilled his clerical duties and in the intervals discreetly frequented the prettier widows, spent convivial evenings in the houses of his intellectual friends and quarreled with an ever-widening circle of enemies, which apparently he really loved to do. Like <laughs> at one point he got into such a battle that it turned into kind of a duel. Like the guy drew oh. a sword on him. <laughs> And oh like my God. the police kind of all it was crazy. And he loved this kind of shit. Like he uh-huh. was a very aggressively domineering guy where he just loved flapping his dick around town, right? Into the drama. Uh, mm-hmm. And indeed, to, you know, his enemies, uh, he, Urbain Grandier, must have seemed infuriatingly untouchable because of his connections, right? Mm-hmm. Well. Well, and let me get back for a moment about the the father the child he was supposed to have fathered. Yeah. The girl, um, her name was uh, Philippe Trincant. Uh, Philippe Trincant. It's a fucking Felipe. French name. Philippe. <laughs> she was the young daughter of his best friend, who he hired to tutor her, or he had he compelled to tutor her, and oh. he basically seduced her and had her come to confession all the time and kind of learned through her confessions that she had a thing for him, which he kind of manipulated her to having. Of course. Had sex with her. She got pregnant, and he was like, "I'm out." Like he straight up told her, like when she accused him, he was like, "Hey, you've sinned, and your job as a Christian is to focus on what you can do to absolve for your own." sin don't be pointing the finger to the people that's right. my sin is my business your sin is your business you take and responsibility so, exactly. for your actions she had a friend a woman named martha who was of lower birth but who was a friend of the family and she kind of hired her as a nurse martha was such a good friend to this poor woman that she told everyone that it was her baby oh wow and just to kind of save face but th- this all this the having the child and all that is what ultimately brought him to trial for immorality which he mm. got off with a slap on the wrist because there was no legal proof um, and in fact, uh, Martha signed this, this woman, Martha, like signed a legal document swearing, perjuring herself that she was in fact the mother of this child, of oh. this bastard child. And so legally they couldn't do anything, even though everyone around town, like we know Grandier is the father, but legally it's not going to hold up in court right. because there's a document that's unassailable now because it's sealed, signed, all that, yeah. uh, that what shows this woman asshole. is. He was a fucking asshole. And this is the daughter, the, the like 14, 15 year old daughter Ugh. of his best friend who he had asked to, like, 
protect her honor, teach her in the ways of spirituality. Right. Because, you know, like, what a fucking asshole. Like, this guy is not, this guy's not, not a good person. No. Yeah, I feel um, like anybody who's going to. But again, he just I mean, got, he just got away with everything. different, but still. Yeah. I mean, apart from jeers from people that already hated him anyway, because he was, you know, this guy, because he was who he was, there's just, he was basically at the zenith of his career. Like, he, he was untouchable. Mm. Which, wow. I mean, it says a lot that doing that, that he had enough friends and power to mm-hmm. get him off of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any responsibility. Well, yeah, and but he, he still and he had was, enemies, too. So it's like he had his enemies, friends must have been very his, powerful. But most of his enemies were were not in a position to really do anything. Right. They could hate him and they could talk shit about him, but he'd be like, I don't care, whatever. He'd get out with them in public all the time. Right. He was very well loved by the public in general because he was a very strong orator. Mm-hmm. Um a uh, very strong speaker. He he spoke at a statesman's funeral where, like that, apparently the sermon he gave at that funeral, and it was for a friend of his, um, that everyone like it went down in history as like one of the best like eulogies ever given. Mm-hmm. Things like so he he had talents, and he wasn't all bad. He just was one of these egotistical people, who I think was probably in the throes of just self-love. And he mm. was like, you know, he thought everything he did was right because he was a man of God. Ergo, everything I like must be something God wants me to do, even if it means deflowering this young girl. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, he was always able to justify whatever he was doing right. because he's, he felt above it. He's doing that because she needs to learn a valuable lesson. And mm-hmm. he's just the conduit of God to bring that lesson to her. And that's probably what he thought. God, um so enter the nuns of Saint Ursuline, or as you would say in French, Saint Ursuline, and their <laughs> mother superior, a woman by the name of Jeanne de Jange. Jean. Now the huh? Jean. 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 <laughs> Jean. Uh, Jean des uh, Anguis. <laughs> Jean des Anguis. Jean de Jange. Um, now the Ursuline sisterhood was hardly founded on piety. Shocking. Right. Uh, for noble families, in fact, who were blessed with one too many daughters, the order provided a convenient alternative to raising dowries. Uh, this was basically a sorority house where families were like, hey, you're not around, we can't afford to marry you off, so you're going to be a nun now, bye. Yeah. And so as a result, most of the nuns there were nuns in name only. Right. And they, they had their habit. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. They didn't necessarily let go their other habits. Yeah, they had their um, habit, and then they had their habit. <laughs> and yeah. so it was kind of like it was like a bunch of women, essentially, you know, that were really bitter and pissed off because their families had just fucking told them, nah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, but they had the relative freedom of not having to get married and be, you know, under some dude's, you yeah. know, uh, un, you know, under some sweating husband constantly, who was probably going to cheat on them anyway, uh, or have to be, you know, deal with being pregnant and risking Baby their factories. lives and all that yeah. shit. So they, it was a convent where, you know, they may have been at least superficially devoted to Christ, but they were, you know, freer than most nuns, right? Uh, in terms of their views and with each other, because they were all like, "Girl, your family, pff, my family, fuck them, <laughs> am I right?" Look at that. Check out that guy. That motherfucker over there. And so they they would always, you know, look at Glendier, would visit them and stuff. And they were like, oh, Twitter, 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 you know. (laughs) So um, Mother Superior Jeanne de Jange herself was born with scoliosis and packed off to the convent at a young age because her her father, who was a baron, thought that the hunch pack that the scoliosis gave Mm -hmm. her meant she was 
unweddable. Un- right. She wouldn't marry. So off she went to live in this convent, and she just kind of took to that life because she was like, oh, well, this is fun. I can just hang out with other chicks. I right. like this. And we all have the same experience. We're all kind of here more or less against our will, but being here surprisingly like, frees us from yeah. having to fucking deal with all the bullshit we'd be expected to be as wives. Um, she was appointed Mother Superior in 1627, and she was one of the most, she was one of the youngest women to ever be given that title. Mm. Um, she was very well liked by the other sisters, is why. Now, in 1632, she came to the order's confessor, a guy named Father Mignon, uh, like Filet Mignon, mm. and told him that some troubling shit had been going on in the convent for a while. She said to Mignon that uh, Father Urbain Grandier had been appearing to her in dreams for months. In these dreams, he wore the guise of an angel, she said, though admittedly an angel that seemed more interested in her body than her soul. Mm-hmm. Wet dream. Mm-hmm. This radiant figure in the guise of an angelic uh, grandier would entice her into the most salacious acts she would call out in her sleep in the throes of orgasm, wake the other nuns. And she tried, she said, every day to do something about these. She could not get these thoughts out of her head. She didn't know what was going on. She felt her body was no longer her own. And... These are some wet dreams. Some seriously wet dreams, right? And much. she was young, so, right. you know, she might have been around that age where she was like, finally all this repressed sexual energy is just expressing yeah. itself in this way, but it began to have a psychological effect on the other nuns as well who started having similar dreams. Oh. And they started, and they all were like insistent, like, this is this, we feel like we're not ourselves. They felt like they were slowly being taken over by something. Well, I mean, if they've never had an orgasm before. Them. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so, That's how it works. <laughs> uh, so penance, strict penance and like daily flagellations where you whip yourself right. did nothing. In fact, they just seemed to increase right. the number of They were just like into they were it. They were like, <laughs> right, right. whip me, sister, um, whip me. They yes, would wake to find uh. themselves covered in sweat. <laughs> and and so these, and these dreams started uh, of hers and the other nuns began bleeding over into waking hallucinations where oh. they started kind of losing their minds. They became so... Such a sweet, sweet fantasy, baby. <laughs> right. So gradually, this walled-off community of women who had been at least willing to pl- play at being devoted to Christ degraded into this <laughs> this lesbian orgy overseen, they insisted, by the spectral visage of Father Grandier. So convinced the convent was under the sway of a demon either who assumed the parish priest's form or was directly in league with him, Jean de Jange, the mother superior, confessed to Father Mignon, who then set about performing a series of exorcisms with the help of his aide, a guy named Father Pierre Barret. Now, I mean, the... I feel like girls just roll with it. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to yeah. that. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so during these exorcisms that were performed, the nuns uh, swore they convulsed violently as the men tried to cast the demons out. They I bet bit they did. And they clawed at themselves. <laughs> they made lewd overtures to the baffled priest. Their bodies contorted in oh. inhuman ways. So shit started getting really weird. And. Uh, it came out as things heated up that two demons in particular were responsible. They oh. figured out uh, As- uh, Asmodeus mm-hmm. and Zebulon. I don't, okay. I've never heard of Zebulon. No. And apparently these demons didn't just creep into the convent on their own. Oh, no, no. Father Grandier, the nuns told Father Mignon, spirited these demons, uh, bewitched them into a bouquet of flowers that he then tossed over the convent wall. And they swore that they found these flowers and that's what happened. And so that was all this. Now, so 
this is some weird shit going on. Yeah. And of course, the monk, now mind you, Father Mignon, their confessor, was a monastic monk. The monastic monks did not like Condier. Right. So it's very likely that he was like, we have something here we can right. use to slander Grandier because that motherfucker is already, he, he... Well, the nuns would have known that, though. They would have known that he didn't like Grandier. They would have known that. Yes. So yes. it seems... If this is if this is just a show, it seems like a show they put on to punish him. Yes, or or they were enticed by the monastic order, the monastic to monks it. to be like, hey, do this thing, and they. I don't did know. It anyway I want to give them. I want to give them uh, more power than that, and that's probably just me. But in my mind, you got a group of women together, and mm-hmm. if they've all been because mm-hmm. he's scorning women left and right, few oh, of yeah. them get taken yeah, advantage yeah, yeah. of. Um, maybe. They're like, okay, let's. We can do this. We can work these men. We know how to play them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's fucking do it. Let's. And all this did start. There are little uh, writings that left behind by the nuns where all these things started as kind of harmless pranks on each <laughs> other in the convent. Yeah. Like one would put on a bed sheet and come out from yeah. a closet or something to scare the shit of the other. So it all started very lightheartedly and as a prank. But things got really serious. I think there's a possibility there. There might be. Well, we'll we'll hear more about the possessions later because okay. it's not all as not everything is what it appears. Okay. In in this. Of course Part of what not. makes this, this story so interesting and compelling. Because on the surface, it looks like these nuns were just bored, or mm-hmm. maybe they hated Grandier, or maybe they were just fucking around and thought, hey, we're doing this thing. And then the father confessor was like, we well, can use this to kind of, hey, are you sure it wasn't Grandier who's doing this to you? And mm-hmm. they go, sure, why not? It'll be fun. And mm-hmm. things very fucking quickly got out of hand. <laughs> um, I love it. So Grandier <laughs> caught wind of the accusations, which of course struck him as completely fucking absurd. And I he would immediately never. started shoring up his defenses. He appealed to was very powerful friend, the Archbishop of Bordeaux, who he'd gone to school with mm-hmm. uh, when they were younger. Bordeaux, in turn, sent his personal physician to investigate the nuns, found no evidence of possession, so Bordeaux then called off the exorcisms and said, right. stop, this no. is bullshit. It's, the fine. word was getting around town. We're not going to hurt Grandier's reputation. Stop that shit. Like, yeah. this is, you're just playing. Your nuns are bored. Fucking take Give care of it. Give something to do. Right? So it stopped, like all of it stopped. And so for now, it looked like Grandier was safe. But before long, his enemies got Cardinal Richelieu involved. Now, as I said earlier, Richelieu had been kind of socially snubbed by Grandier several years before Mm -hmm. in the Holy Procession uh, through Laudan. So he remembered that. He also, Richelieu, learned that someone had penned a savage satire about him and the stylistic evidence suggested that Grandier was the author. So he didn't forget that either. Mm -hmm. He's got a bone to pick. When Richelieu first became cardinal, and and, i.e. the most powerful man in France, one of his first things he wanted to do, this big project he wanted to undertake, was to demolish Huguenot strongholds uh, all over, because Huguenots were, were mm. they were basically the big competitors for the Catholic uh, supremacy. Mm-hmm. And anyone that, they were basically, it's, that's a whole long story, but basically any remnants of the of the Huguenot uprisings that happened years before, uh, Cardinal Richelieu wanted to make a big show of demolishing them all. Like, right. your time is fucking over. And there were a lot of these landmarks in yeah. Loudoun. Not just getting um, rid of them, but making it a big, like... Huge thing. Yeah. And there were a lot of these landmarks in Loudoun. Loudoun Castle, the big castle, was a Huguenot landmark. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was going to get a friend of his, a guy by the name of uh, Jean, this name I'm going to fuck up. Uh, Richelieu's friends, uh, this guy was named Jean de Labordemont. Sure. Labordemont. Um, Labordemont. 
Labradoodle. He was going to be the guy that oversaw the demolition project in Loudoun of these Huguenot okay. strongholds, and it was going to be a lot of money for him. Grandier, for fucking reasons of his own, got in the way mm-hmm. of this project and and opposed it and Cardinal Richelieu lost like basically lost the fucking contract to do it as did his friend well also it turned out so that's one thing right so it also turned out though that um there was a relative of Richelieu's a woman named Sister Claire who was thought to be among those possessed within the St. Ursuline convent so he had a perfect pretext to set up the royal fucking commission to go mm-hmm. into Loudon and arrest Grandier on charges of witchcraft oh Guess who he put in charge of the prosecution? Jean de Labradement, the guy who had been oh. passed over because of the demolition project that Grandier got in the way of. So all this is like all of his enemies just got this is perfect. This, yeah. It's like it's like the, the the political equivalent of when you have a hernia and all your internal organs go, there's a hole, go, 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 go. And right. they just, yo, know, it's like all of them are like, this is our perfect chance. Yeah. So shit got Smart. real, real quick. Um, an expert Franciscan exorcist by the name of Father Lactance was put in charge of the nuns. He publicly exorcised them, and it became a big fucking deal. As oh. many, at any one time, this would happen day after day, the nuns would be brought out and in this very theatrical way exorcised, and in ways that were really painful for the nuns. So they were no longer enjoying this. Right. And as many as 7,000 people would come to the town square of Saint Croix to watch these exorcisms happen in Loudon. And this happened day after day. Um, they, these women were humiliated, tortured, maimed, and finally coerced by the Franciscan exorcist Father Lactance into decisively pointing the finger at Grandier. Of course, it didn't help matters that a lot of Grandier's former conquests among the secular ladies started coming forward going, oh yeah, yeah, we've done stuff. So like pretty quickly, like all the stuff that had been rumored about him came to light was absolutely true. And the public Uh. turned against him in fucking droves. So on December 7th, 1633, Father Grandier was thrown into the dungeon of Castle Angers and given over to the whims of a surgeon named Minori who despised him. Wow. Um, Minori had been the subject of a lot of Grandier's uh, jokes, the butt of a lot of jokes among the intellectual circles that Grandier moved in. Minori was just this surgeon who believed in a lot of weird shit, and Grandier loved to lampoon him in front of the other nobles. Mm-hmm. So they were enemies, and Minori oh. now had him, and he's like, and the, the prosecutors told him, like, yeah, you, you gotta, I mean, he's a witch now, so you gotta do your thing. Have fun. Oh, um, teach and him a so Christian Minori lesson. was like, cracked his knuckles and got to work. He took special delight in shaving Grandier completely hairless, which was a huge unmanning of, of a guy well, back in those mustache. days. That mustache. Right? He inspected him for devil's marks. Mm. Uh, and to Third showcase... Nipple. Well, and when he found it, well, warts, moles, yeah. anything that they fucking cared to call a devil mark was a devil mark. Now... To be a devil mark, it has to not, it has to be like, has a weird supernatural aura to it. So like if, say, the chief torturer, Minori, uh, were to take uh, a pick or a knife and stab at this thing and it, Grandier felt no pain, that was a cl- clear sign that this mark was diabolical in origin. Right. What one of the witnesses to this torture professed later was like, yeah, Minori would just palm these instruments in such a way to make it look like he was poking him but wouldn't actually do it and be like, oh, so. And when Grandier wouldn't cry out in pain, as he ought to have, because he looked like he was being stabbed in his right. devil mark, he would then showcase, uh, Minori, would showcase that his implements worked just fine every, on every other part of the body and fucking drive them in other places, sometimes <gasps> to the bone. Oh, my God. Just to show that that his 
shit worked well and that these other things had to be devil's marks. And there were witnesses there. There's all a trick of the hand. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the witnesses there that claimed, like, that Grandier's cries were just fucking awful, piercing, Mm -hmm. and, like, it really shattered them. Now, around this time, according at least to the, as a French, uh, there was a 19th century French occultist named Colin de Plancy uh, that wrote a book called The Infernal Dictionary in 1829, and he talks about this case a little bit. He says, around this time, an incriminating document surfaced, which sealed Grandier's fate even more. A supposed signed pact between Grandier and no less than 17 demons, including oh. Satan himself. Satan, I wonder what his signature looked like. Pretty Was it weird. just a hoof mark? Weirdly in French. Um, <laughs> a French hoof who mark? Who knew? I mean, I'm not entirely surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the nuns are getting exercised every day, so if it was a mm-hmm. joke, they were quickly like, fuck it, they we like, can't do this. They were like, this was a terrible idea, Well, and so in due course, several of the Ursuline nuns came forward in Grandier's defense, saying mm. this is all. this was all a joke that got out of hand. We were told to point the finger at Grandier. This isn't real. We weren't possessed. I mean, maybe we were possessed, but we're not. We don't know, but it's not what they it's say not it his is. Fault. Um, Mother Superior Jean de Jange, of course, who began all this when she, you know, confessed to Father Mignon, um, appeared in court with a noose tied dramatically around her neck, proclaiming that she would kill herself if not allowed to recant. But the chief prosecutor, Jean de Labredemont, said that this is a trick of the devil, this is clearly Satan trying to muddy mm. the waters and proclaim, you know, or save the life mm. of one of like, his These women aren't saying what we told them humans. to say. It must be the devil. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> well, that it. seems to be a trend. It's, yeah, it's, um, like, it's like nothing's changed. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, God. You're, it's so sad. It is. Um, you don't want a story like this to be as relevant. I know. Uh, relevant as it is. Revelant. Revelant. Revenant? Revenant? Revelant. Revelatory. I don't fucking know. Accurate. It is certainly a revelation. <laughs> um, so under threat of still more torture at the hands of Father Lactance, the exorcist, the nuns walked back their reversal and kept silent, continued to behaving as though possessed and submitting to the public, terrifying public exorcisms in full view of people that often paid to watch. So yeah. this was becoming not just a great way to oust Father Grandier, which people like Cardinal Richelieu was ready to do in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. but also was generating some nice tourist income for Loudoun, which, mind you, was was a nice-sized village, but not the size of Paris, not the size of Lyon. You right. know, these this was it suddenly was on the map yeah. and so they were like we got a bunch of nuns that are like possessed in this witch this parish priest who's in league with the devil come on down right <laughs> it's fucked up right so uh Grandet adamantly maintained his innocence even under torture throughout nevertheless he was convicted and the counts against him read as follows <clears throat> We have ordered and do order the said Urbain Grandier duly tried and convicted of the crime of magic, maleficia, and of causing demoniacal possession of several Ursuline nuns of this town of Loudon, as well as of other secular women together with other charges and crimes resulting therefrom. For atonement of which we have condemned and do condemn the said Grandier to make amende honorable. <laughs> I just want to say it like that. To make uh, amende honorable, his head bare, a rope around his neck, holding in his hand a burning taper weighing two pounds before the principal door of the church of Saint Pierre du Marche, which was his parish, uh, and before that of Saint Ursula of this town, there on his knees to ask pardon of God, the king, and the law. This done, he is to be taken to the public square of Saint Croix and fastened to a stake on a scaffold which shall be erected on the said place for this purpose and there to be burned alive and his ashes scattered to the wind. This seems very detailed. 
very detailed. They they were not fucking around. They they were. This was like, it's like setting people in tables at a wedding. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> Who's You're going sit where? Here. You're going to have the east view. Of what the if execution. like when he does it, he's got like a noose around his neck. What if? <laughs> like, let's the taper has to be two pounds. Right. One pound he can carry that, but two, pounds, two pounds is just enough to just be uncomfortable. Be, like, annoying because like, he has to carry the whole time. Annoying. And if he drops it, we start over. Yeah, and we're gonna surround him and be like, shame, 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 shame. Oh, he dropped it. Do it again. Shame. shame, shame. What a great way to like off put your own like execution that you just keep dropping the taper. I know. Oh no, then, like, I gotta do it. Five again. years later, oh, okay, no. this time you're gonna get it right. Yeah, <laughs> and then everybody who's mad at him has died, so he's fine. Yes, he's yeah. fine. They're like, it's what do you? What are you doing? Okay. So as a final request, Grandier threw himself upon the court's mercy and asked to be choked to death prior to being burned alive. That's the request fair. was approved, but on the day of his execution, the crowd awaiting to see the death sentence carried out stirred up such a frenzy that exorcist Father Lactance forewent the strangulation and against orders <gasps> took up a torch in his own hand and personally threw it. On the pyre at Gandier's feet. Oh my gosh. The man burned alive in agony in front of a crowd that was cheering it on like they had just won the goddamn Super Bowl. Jeez. Now what's odd is the nuns continued to act possessed for the next three fucking years. Their almost daily public exorcisms drew crowds as far away as England. The spectacle finally stopped after Mother Superior Jean de Jange was given a vision uh, that told her to make a pil- pilgrimage to the tomb of St. Francis. Um, after her journey, the demons seemed to leave the convent in peace. Now, that's the bare bones of the story. It's easy to dismiss the possession as staged. You know, even before their public ordeal, the Ursuline nuns may have been under threat to help Grandier's enemies ruin him. And for all we know, Jean de Jange uh, had a thing for Grandier and felt spurned when he reserved his attentions for more secular ladies, like mm-hmm. the daughters of his best friends. Right. Um, and given Grandier's reputation, of course, any or all of the nuns at St. Ursuline could have had it in for him for the same reason. And, you know, maybe his presence was enough to kind of fill the younger ladies with emotions beyond their control. Maybe their repressed sexuality sought the only outlet available to a 17th century nun, carnal dreams. Right. Uh, which they then maybe felt compelled to dress up as demonic possession just to mm-hmm. save face with each other and the monastic monks that were in charge of them. Well, and then it just led to some, like, fucking psychopath who wanted to torture them in front of people. Yes. Well, we'll get to... We have not heard the last of Father Lactance, uh, the exorcist that was mm. in charge of them, uh, or some of the people that in league with him, too. We'll get to that in a second. But it's it's probable that they just got swept up in a practical joke that went horribly wrong and left them vulnerable to men very happy to use them as political pawns of against course, Father yeah. Grandier. Um, regarding the all-too-human intrigues behind the tragedy, Aldous Huxley, author of Devils of Loudon, where most of this information comes, has this to say, quote, bogus demonic possession artfully faked by a whole convent of hysterical Ursulines under the coaching of their spiritual directors, monks plotting with lawyers to bear false witness against a hated professional and sexual rival, a fornicating priest enmeshed in the toils of his own lust and vanity, and at last judiciously murdered on a false charge, and with every refinement of cruelty, it is a story that takes a high place in the annals of human beastliness in general and religious beastliness in particular. And I would watch the shit out of it if Netflix produced it. <laughs> it is a really, the movie I is mean, really good, right? Now, it's hard to disagree with uh, with Huxley's assessment. I a TV series. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right? I mean, they should, I mean maybe, maybe this will start the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, Someone do that. 
make that work. Now, Huxley, again, a spiritual man, but but a skeptic when it came to things like demonic possession and the, the sort of literal take on these things. And it's hard to disagree with the sort of uh, the worldly dimensions of what was going on, because clearly all that's true. But when you look at the actual possessions themselves and some of the historical evidence that Huxley may have overlooked, the skeptical view seems to fall a little short, mm. meaning there was more to it. Okay. The thing that argues for this is that at least three of the priests sent to exercise the Ursulines during these, this period of three or four years fell prey to the demons themselves, Father Lactance among them. Oh. Now, uh, Grandier's last words while dying, being burned alive, were directed at Lactance, and he, or Lactance, and he said, you yourself are going to meet God in 30 days. Oh. Not long after this, Lactance began dropping on the floor, rolling around, <gasps> blaspheming against his will, all the while his mind being a detached spectator and he right. couldn't control himself, frothing at the mouth, vomiting, sweating, crawling up. His body was contorting in weird ways, and this went on and on and on and did not stop until he died of exhaustion Ooh. exactly 30 days <gasps> after Gandhi was burned. It's like he was rabid. Mm-hmm. Another was he, priest. Was he rabid? Is that what happened? Actually, I don't know. if I think rabies, if you get it, it, take, it doesn't take that long. Yeah, I don't know. But this went on for a month. This went on for yeah. a month. And he was exhibit. he was doing the same things as the nuns. Okay. So it's like, and this, so that was Father Lactance. And, and bear in mind, he was the exorcist. He was the right. guy that was like, he killed Grandier. His assistant, a guy, a priest named Father Tranquil. I love that name. Um, <laughs> it's an ironic name, as it turns out. Uh, he kind of led the, he, along with Lactance, had led the charges against Grandier, at least in the sort of court of public opinion. Now, he had come to Loden, convinced the authority of the church would protect him from the demons uh, among the Ursuline nuns, but not, not long after Grandier's death, he too began writhing on the ground in painful contortions, his feeling his mouth emit blasphemies, making mm -hmm. lewd sexual gestures. All the while, his, his mind was kind of locked within himself. Uh, he too died around not very not that much longer than than father lactance Ooh. a celebrated jesuit mystic named father surin arrived after they died and also came under the demon sway contorting blasphemous speaking in tugs the whole nine yards now he survived his ordeal physically but spent the remaining quarter century of his life absolutely fucking insane oh. uh in one of his rare lucid moments he wrote to a friend quote god has permitted the devils to pass out of the possessed person's body and entering into mine to assault me to throw me down to torment me i find it al almost impossible to explain what happens to me during this time how this alien spirit is united to mine without depriving me of consciousness or of inner freedom and yet constituting a second me as though I had two souls. Ooh. Now, there is a book called The Spirits Book by a guy named Alan Kardec. He was the founder of French Spiritism in the 19th century. And he says about cases of possession, like the Loudon case, that a spirit doesn't enter into the body as you enter into a house. It assimilates itself to a person who has the same defects and qualities oh. as themselves. So uh, Colin Wilson, who I've mentioned several times on the show mm -hmm. before, talks about this case, and he theorizes that both Father Lactance and Father Tranquil, who supervised Grandier's torture, did so with relish, and that this emotion opened them up to possession. Right. 
Uh, well, I mean, they obviously, you know, had an agenda. Oh, they absolutely yeah. did. And then when you have an agenda that is personal, mm-hmm. you can't say that. I mean, it's that's a that's a selfish thing, which is not a pure exactly priestly thought. But there's but behind all this, there's the possibility that there were some kind of malicious spirits at work. Yeah, digging around, or maybe um, they just got the attention. They got. They were well doing all these thing. exorcisms, and the all the demons were like, "What the fuck are they doing? Let's go see." <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, now, many years later, before her death in 1665, Mother Superior Jean de Jonge said in so many words that life as a nun never really suited her. Now, she went to her grave convinced of her saintliness, especially after the visions that told her to go to the tomb of St. Francis. Mm-hmm. But she freely admitted uh, that she never wanted to be a nun. Most right. of the other nuns in St. Ursuline kind of felt the same way. And she wrote in her memoirs that she didn't really make much of an effort when these lewd thoughts began entering into her mind involving Father Grandier that she really didn't do much to fight them. Mm-hmm. That she was like, eh, whatever. And she writes, quote, This accursed spirit insinuated himself into me so subtly that I in no way recognized his workings. So perhaps, Colin Wilson theorizes, perhaps a more or less conscious desire to harm Father Grandier made her vulnerable, as it did Lactance and Tranquil, to the wiles of a malicious spirit. Unlike them, however, and this is the last word I'll say on it until we just want to discuss it for a little bit, Jean de Jean's kind of admitted, in so many words in her memoirs, that she liked being possessed. Well, she had orgasms. (laughs) It makes sense. But where she had recanted in court before Grandier's final execution or final uh, uh, trial that none of it was true, later in life she said, yeah, it was. I just I just didn't like admitting that, that I really kind of... Dug it. I dug it. I was into it. And the it. other nuns dug it too. Yeah. So that in a nutshell is the story of the Devils of Loudoun. Wow. Mm-hmm. Fucked up So story. the question is, are there... Were there devils? Were there not? Did there did, was because it seems to me again. I'm gonna, I'm standing firm mm. with it was fake at the beginning. They were, uh, you know, trying to do. There was an agenda. There was they were trying to do something. They were either trying to punish him for taking advantage were, of them, or or they were just bored. Or and they were bored. What they were doing was completely unrelated to Grandier yeah. and the other monastic monks who hated him. Were like, we can use this or against just, him, and they were you, like, sure. Yeah, if you think about it, though, especially in religious upbringings, sex is bad, sex is evil, any mm-hmm. kind of sexuality is bad, it's evil, it's only for baby making, if, you know, mm-hmm. wait until marriage, sin, sin, devil, devil, blah, 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 sin, don't have sin, sex. Devil, devil. So, you have these, you know, okay, so you imagine, you have a nun, she has a wet dream, what the fuck? The fuck, you're supposed to be right. above that. And you liked it. Mm-hmm. A little bit what? of guilt. The fuck? A little bit of guilt. So, you know, you you, you have your best friend who's there. Mm-hmm. Go talk to her. Look, I had this dream. Holy shit. Tell me everything. She tells you everything. Right, <laughs> friend right. gets told everything. <laughs> and you just plant the idea in her head and she and, starts having it too. Yeah, all of a sudden, you know. And we can't, you know, pretend that these women probably weren't touching themselves, you know. It's just, that's not reasonable to believe. They weren't the most nunnish of nuns. Right. Because of their circumstances. Yes. But I can imagine that it spread. So for the Mm. ones who maybe weren't as free with themselves or then, and then 
a lot of people were having it at once. A lot mm-hmm. of people were having these dreams. And one of them is like, okay, something's you wrong. Guys. <laughs> we have got to stop this. It is out of fucking control. And maybe they found themselves unable to. Unable to or guilt. They felt guilty. They were shamed. They, you know, all, all of religion tells them what, what is happening um, is bad. And in their minds, they're not doing anything. It's happening when they're asleep. Mm-hmm. So here comes the shame. What do we do about it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go confess. You know, if it, if it was like something that you, I could see it getting to that point yes. uh, without them having an agenda against but I think they probably <laughs> they might have I yeah. mean it was it's interesting to note too that like it clearly started out very playful mm-hmm. for the nuns it was just like whatever and when they finally went to Father Mignon who know who knew what drew, drove Dejanche to see him mm-hmm. and confess it because maybe he had been like there's shit going on here and you need to fucking tell me right now and she's like right. okay let me and then then maybe he began to make her feel a certain way about what had happened so yeah. she suddenly realized oh this isn't just fine maybe she began to feel guilty yeah. while confessing under duress Mm-hmm. To uh, to me on. I don't know. Of course, we can also. And mind you, she had a hunchback as well. So maybe she felt. Maybe she. It, it's possible. And Huxley kind of uh, plays with this idea a little bit too in the in the book um, that she may have had feelings for Glandier and mm. felt Rejected. spurned by him yeah. because she wasn't pretty. And you know, and that caused all these unrequited feelings that it came out in dreams and all this and made her feel bad. Whatever. But. The fact that shit was actually happening. I mean, this mm-hmm. shit that like these women were contorting and were blaspheming and did feel. I, I don't think. I, I think something. I think it grew. It. I don't want to sound like I believe in this shit in the literal sense, but I. It's almost as though that these women began doing this just mm-hmm. as uh, for fun, or they mm-hmm. were having these experiences and being like, ah, oh, this is okay, weird, maybe guilt, whatever. But it, it opened them up to them losing control into it, and so they became possessed. You call it a spirit, call it feelings, call it opening mm-hmm. up a different personality in their heads that suddenly, you know, all their their pent up feelings about having to be nuns against their will right. and not getting the privileges of of being you know a lady that would ever get to experience a husband or children, and maybe they you know wanted that. Who knows? But like something about doing this woke something up inside that convent that you know was big enough that because this was a time like this was not some backwater like medieval town like this was a very clerical very intelligent you know uh, time of uh, so pulling off an exorcism like this is hard to believe but really honestly trying to convince someone back then that you were possessed by a demon Mm -hmm. um would have been probably just as difficult as it would be to convince someone of that today Okay. Um, because that was kind of the nature of the complexity of the very stratified belief system that ha- people had in that life. So for an entire convent of nuns to be so convincingly possessed, mm-hmm. um, they had to either be really good actors or to get or to get possessed by a role. As actors, we know this. Sometimes you do get taken possessed over by a role. It makes me think of Salem and, mm-hmm. you know, the Crucible, of course. Right. But that is... You know, these girls just got in over their heads. Yeah, and that's then, exactly. And then, in the same way, once the government <laughs> got involved... The Royal Commission. They took over. Uh-huh. And, the you know, the girls didn't matter anymore after that. But it uh-huh. started off as... Something totally different. Well, and different. they probably, and at that point, they were like, they couldn't just go back and be like, okay, we were pretending everyone's fine, because then they would have been right. legally, you know, uh, pro- they could have been, uh, they would have con- they would have been considered perjurers, and that was punishable by death right. if you were a cleric. Well, and also at the point that it was taken over by these other 
dudes, mm-hmm. uh, they couldn't say, hey, I don't even think they could say it's not happening anymore. Oh, yeah, motherfucker, it is happening because we've got an agenda now. We need to take this guy down. Yeah. So you guys are going to be dealing with this. You get to choose who gets the exorcism, but it's going to go to somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. force them into and then, it. But then you have the, the exorcists themselves, Lactance, Surin, and Tranquil, that all became possessed as well yeah. after the fact. Not that is during, more. That is, you know, and that makes me, that's, to me, like, that makes like, me think that it's, um, what's his name that died, that was killed? Uh, the main guy with the mustache. Oh, Grandier. Grandier. Um, I want to say Garnier. (laughs) Grandier. Fructis Garnier? Yeah. He, that, you know, in, you know, I'm not a big curse person, but maybe in this situation, Mm. that's what happened. And he was like, okay, they will suffer with what they claimed. Yeah. You know, is suffering. Yeah. And, and maybe it's both, you know, the, the, the nuns were being manipulated. Mm-hmm. Um, start off as, as something, a joke. It started off as, or even not a joke, a concern, but then became manipulated by these men in power. Yeah. And when Grandier was being killed, I mean, especially when you you know you're going to die, you've you've dealt with that, but then last minute you're not you're not choked. You are on, lit on fire. Ugh. That kind of emotion and probably rage that mm-hmm. happened, you know, can generate some shit. Can generate some shit. So when he directs it yeah. at that, you know, these uh, the other guys, it's it makes you wonder if if it didn't it wasn't the demons in that case, mm-hmm. but it was Grandier. Well, and also it's worth noting that the nuns continued to be possessed or act right. possessed for three more years after that. So oh, that's maybe, right too. You know, now that could be explained like they were still play acting because at this point it, they were such a draw for the right, town that they were true. like, you're still going to be possessed, guys. And it was right. only after Jean de Jean was like, you know, okay, I'm going to, let's put a fucking stop to this. We have to have a pre-tag. I mean, could be. But the the my takeaway from this is there's so much, it's such a complex story mm-hmm. um, that I don't think that... I. I'm not satisfied with the viewpoint that it was all fake. I'm not yeah. satisfied with the viewpoint that it was all psychological. Um, I, it's some weird mishmash of psychological, spiritual, political, all that shit. That's just so complicated that it's so easy for us to get lost in just one point of view of that. Because Huxley's point of view is like, it was all bullshit. Yeah. Like these women probably, you know, he sees it as, he saw it as their struggles and of Grandier's struggles in spiritual terms, but not in literal terms. Like mm-hmm. he's like, they're not possessed. They're not, there's no demons that are taking these women over, but they are getting lost in, you know, maybe they're, they are being taken over. He would say by their guilt at, right. you know, what started uh, being swept up by something and it causing so much harm to someone who may or may not have deserved it. And again, Glandier didn't not deserve to be at least publicly ruined. Right. For uh, the behavior. Maybe not burned. Well, you also read about the, you know, the, the hysteria that happens in different, mm-hmm. you know, different places and different groups of people. But also, um, the... When, uh, especially like in, you see it a lot, uh, you, the, you are healed thing where they oh, yeah, heal somebody yeah. and that person has contortions, they fall yes. and they are not healed. <laughs> they're not healed. No. But for some reason they're having this reaction. It's like a hypnotist uh-huh. type of uh-huh. situation. Uh-huh. And so, especially when the nuns were being, uh, exercised. Yeah. Was it some sort of 
did it end up being some sort of hypnosis or mass hysteria situation Maybe. so that it went, you know, it went on for three years. But if, if that was what was really behind it. Yeah. It's so, there's so, I don't know. I don't know. It's such yeah. a complicated story and that's why I love it. Yeah. That is. Yeah. The possessions of Loudon, France in 1632. Goodness, 1632. Fuck, um, 1632. Wow. A time that has a lot in common with our own in some ways. It uh, sure does. Um, I think that there's a lesson there. Uh, stop being shitty to women or <laughs> you're going to get burned alive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dudes, guys. Stop being shitty to women. Or other women. Women can be shitty yeah. to women too. Like, I, it, it's just don't, don't be an asshole to people. Right. Don't take advantage of young girls. It's not don't. cool. It's not oh, appropriate. It's not. You're going to get set on You're fire. going to get burned. <laughs> <laughs> too but easy. On, that was too easy. Yeah. But, but, on, on but the, called for. <laughs> on, the, on the plus side, when that happens, you can curse people, apparently. Yeah. So. Apparently that shit works. That, it works. <laughs> that is very, that is strange. Yeah. I can't believe I've never heard of that in my whole entire life. I think life. it's because it's such a complicated story. It's a it hard, is. it's hard to. It, it resists category categorization, I think. Well, and it's, it's so like, extreme. On the one I'm hand, sure mm-hmm. the Catholic Church is like, eh, maybe that one is a we step try away not from to. that one. Yeah. yeah, we don't like to talk about the exorcists and the exorcisms He's now. Yeah, yeah. Because well, yeah. the especially now they try to step further and further away from the mystical side of things, when in yeah. reality the Catholic Church became as popular as it is because they connected to that mysticism. They connected Mm -hmm. to the pagan rituals. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we see, of course, we see that in our holidays. We see that in in a bunch of things. So more now, and, uh, you know, it's it's interesting, too, because in Texas, especially, we have a lot of Catholics that are... uh, from Mexico or descended from Mexico mm-hmm. and you uh, not usually well in my experience usually that comes with a certain amount of mysticism a certain amount of yeah. um, very very strong Catholic faith but also you're gonna get the evil eye so they're gonna rub an egg on your forehead or something <laughs> you know like yeah there, it's, you know. it's kind of a you know and I think in the early days especially the Catholic Church and it's early in the early centuries of its dominance was uh, they couldn't just erase the faith that they were taking the place of, so they had to incorporate it. Mm-hmm. And they left a lot of room. We're like, you can do that. Let's just yeah. do that. We don't want to talk about it. But that's why, when we talked about the poltergeists thing, like that was, you know, the the very the concept of poltergeist was first not invented, but first popularized by Martin Luther, yeah. a Protestant. You know, before that, the, that was a term that applied to a bunch of different entities that were observed or believed in by pagan mm-hmm. uh, faiths. And that... You know, obviously the church fathers were like, well, we can't, let's just like, well, the things you're talking about do exist, but they're actually all this instead. It's right. kind of like, you know, you still hear people there that think all ghosts are Satan. Right. Absolutely. Um, or there's, there are no ghosts because uh, of, of whatever religious purposes. And then the, mm-hmm. we've said it before, if there's a Holy Ghost, why that it's in the title. Um, <laughs> but also too, you think about, you know. Uh, especially in Mexico, when they were they they've the the Catholic Church as far as introduction to Mexico mm. is much more recent. It's true. So so we're kind of seeing it in a different earlier a different stage. Time, than, yeah. yeah, a different time frame when that the mystical things uh, were still 
Although I know too, like especially with the evil eye in Italy, it's a big thing. Um, throughout the Middle East, it's a big thing. So I think it's interesting too. Like I have a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, uh, who uh, grew up in, in Mexico and moved here. I think when he was uh, twelve or so, and uh, very devout Catholic family, and he still observes a lot of that. But he's not very versed. In Catholicism, it's just like he he knows the the things that he's always done, their traditions, right? right? But he's very devout to what he does know. But when you sit down and talk to him sometimes, I realize, like, and I'll tell him, I'm like, dude, I think what you're talking about is actually from (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. And he'll be like, oh, bro, I think you're right. Like, he's kind of mixed them up. And I think that happens with the lay person. You know, we, the most people don't have the opportunity to sit down or the stamina to sit down and really make a study of the theology Mm -hmm. behind what they believe. So, of course, a lot of folk belief comes along with it. And I think the church was wise in its early days and in in days where it still, you know, uh, where it still has a lot of power is to kind of leave it open enough that those folk beliefs can still there's still room for them right so there doesn't have to be a generational split where like or grandma believes in the evil eye but grandson thinks she's fucking witch for believing in it yeah right um because we don't want that you know we don't want that we need the family we need we need older generations and mm-hmm. new generations to come along so we'll just whatever and we'll just slowly change the word we'll slowly manipulate the verbiage so that the beliefs are there but we're in control of what they're called and and yeah. the um the uh, what's the word i'm looking for the implications of mm. the belief like that's that's where the power is right so wow fascinating stuff it is yeah it is thank you for letting me dig in it's one of my no favorite problem. stories i've that's gotten to great. do yeah that was mm. really good mm. i mm. still can't believe i haven't ever thanks for letting me that. devote an entire episode to it no, i hope you guys right. like that i hope you guys yes. like that it's all one it's good we'll it's do it from good. time to time yeah once in a while yeah um and and uh thank thank you for last week letting me do the whole <laughs> that was great um, oh my god we should do like a part two of that <laughs> oh my gosh Man. there's just so much to cover it's there really to do is it, yeah. there is i mean same thing with this i mean especially when you get into the religious implications and mm-hmm. you know and and you know like we did you just get into it mm-hmm. trying to it's decipher fascinating it is and also that's a lot of information too that you it, it, probably because it was a more developed mm-hmm. area, we have more of that history. Yes. Because, yes. you know, it's And a lot it's of, and such a fascinating idea. story that when it was popular, a lot of people wrote about it. And so that, oh, there's, right. a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of literature that goes back several hundred years about it. They were like, oh, we can get this person's opinion or this person's opinion. What so. if we go to that town? I would, I, you, I, you don't have to twist my arm <laughs> to go to France. Let's just go um, to France. Let's just go to Loudon, France let's and be like, is this where they think about? Is this what was happening? Oh I think there's God. still a plaque on the wall and oh, really? the Saint Ursuline convent used to be. Oh yeah. Um, I think it's still something. It's still a building. The building still stands, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. But there's a big plaque on there about everything that happened that they erected shortly after Gandhi as execution. I just enjoy that the whole thing starts with wet dreams. <laughs> it's good. I mean, really... a lot of great stories do. It's true. You know that <laughs> I literally just last night, I think had jack listen to the wet dreams the it's like wet dreams cruising through the gulf stream song oh and oh, it's oh. all got all the fish puns in it that's what it's in my head right now <laughs> wet dream it's if you haven't if you like puns <laughs> <laughs> and 
because uh, you'll go, oh, ah, oh, oh, ah, the entire oh. time. It's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. It's on the YouTube. But, oh, my God. Oh God. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes, hope, thank you very much. Uh, you enjoyed it and learned as much as I did. Shit. Uh, so thank you. And that is, I guess that's all for today. It's a little bit shorter episode than we're used to, but it balances out. <laughs> uh, and, uh, of course, you can follow us on our Facebook page, on Twitter, on our Instagram. Uh, we'll show pictures. We'll keep you up to date on what's going on. Tell you about our ghostical episodes. <laughs> if you have not subscribed, please subscribe. <laughs> and uh, we'll... And then you'll know you'll be the first to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you can go to ghoulintentions.com for links to the social media sites we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. You can also listen to previous episodes. Woo-hoo. Please do. You can shop our store. We love when you take pictures of you wearing our stuff because you look great. Uh-huh. Uh, and more importantly, where you can submit your own personal ghost story uh, for consideration to be read as the cold open on a future episode. That's right. You will find that form now in the menu under Submit Your Ghost Story. Jamie has made it incredibly easy. That's to right. do. And, and I mean, submit those stories too because we are, you know, we'll read them on the ghost calls as well as the cold opens, so there's a little more opportunity yes. for those stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We want to try to we do want to try to include more of those stories into what we mm-hmm. do in general. So Absolutely. Hence, hence the ghost That's right. So also thank you guys for being so supportive and helping the podcast grow. It's been so cool and so validating to see it just, you know, uh, explode like this. You guys are amazing. Thank you for being nerds like us. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love it. Um if you haven't, please give us a review. We would really appreciate it. Uh, it really helps us out a lot. It takes a couple minutes of your time. If you want to go to one of the platforms you listen to it on, iTunes or whatever, you can do it there. Right. And we're all, we're all really it's appreciate super it. super easy. It takes yeah. no time at all. Yeah. And But it helps us immensely um, just with the, the numbers and, and um, I guess, podcast facts. I don't And whatever. also letting us know what we're doing right. That's true. Or doing wrong. Yeah, so, don't do don't give us a review. Yeah, don't give wrong. us don't we give don't us negative that. reviews. Just don't just do that. stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> just don't listen then if yeah. you don't like it. But yeah. um if you do, please please yes. give us a review. All right. Are you ready for your quote? I'm sure. What's, okay. What's the quote? Can you give me a give me a veiled hint? Um, or, can, or should you? Let's see. Let me give it to you first and then you tell me. Okay, okay, okay. Some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. I know this. I know this. Yeah, see, that's what I thought. What is it from? Okay. Wait. Let me think of a hint. Ah. Um, Their feathers are just too bright. God damn it, God damn it, God damn it. It is the, uh, the writer of this is, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I feel like that's going to give it away. I'll read it again. That's fine. Some birds aren't meant to be caged. <laughs> Their feathers are just too bright. Damn it, I know the quote, but I'm so bad at knowing what it's from. Okay. Okay. Hint. Okay. Give me a hint. The writer uh, is... This is uh, uh, a horrifying movie, but it's not the scariest movie this writer has ever written. He normally writes scary movies. I, I, uh, um, um, <laughs> is it The Green Mile? Nope. Oh. But you're close. I'm so close. Is it, is it, wait, wait, wait. It's Stephen King. It's clearly uh-huh. Stephen King. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not The Green Mile. Wait. 
Oh, fuck. Fuckity fuck, fuck. Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, I'll say that uh, no one is driving Miss Daisy in it. What? Okay, that didn't work. No, um, what? What? Um, what? So no one's driving Miss Daisy? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Um, let's see. Is, is, so is, is Morgan Freeman in it? Yes. What? Who's? I don't... Stephen King Morgan Freeman. Uh-huh. Now I'm blanking. Uh-huh. Okay, what is it? I don't know. It's Shawshank Redemption. Oh, God! <laughs> Damn it, I was so close. It's a Stephen King prison movie. I mean, I really tried. You were, that was great. I that really was great. tried to get I you to failed. get it. I failed. I failed. My head is too full of possessed nuns. <laughs> I mean, you got the prison thing. I thought I was for sure. so close. I was oh, so God. close, and yet, and yet, so far away. <laughs> oh, Thank you guys for listening. Yes, it's really and been fun. Um, remember, it's, it's okay, okay to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on.